0: and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House.
1: Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people.
2: I want one of these letters from North Korea so bad. <laughs> they have to be fantastic, because he seems very appreciative of everyone that they send. Yes. The letterhead's got to be wonderful. Letterhead's great. Lots of stars and sickles and hammers and whatnot, really big envelopes. <laughs> it's gonna be great. I just want one. I'm gonna yeah. put it on my wall. Without the anthrax that comes with it. Um hi guys, Barstool Politics. Uh I'm your host, Nick McGuire. To my left, as always, uh Doctor Bill Muck from North Central College. To my right, inside of a computer screen. Uh Doctor Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi guys. Hey Nick. Hey, How's hey Phil. Hey, hi. Um, <laughs> Yeah, before we get started, uh, if you guys like the podcast, have questions that you want us to talk about, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, uh, or to follow our nonsensical crap that we put out on social media, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app on uh, iOS and Android, We're just Barstool Politics on there, so you can see reviews that we put out there and everything that we try, you know, give us suggestions, anything like that the uh, podcast itself wow it's like two minutes in and i can't talk already um (laughs) podcast uh soundcloud stitcher google play music uh lots of different podcasting platforms uh and then most of you guys are coming through on itunes so uh review us on there share us with people through there um that's how we mainly get new listeners so we appreciate the support um before we get into a very heavy week with lots of Text messages and uh, apparently Bigfoot erotica, which we'll
1: get to at some point. you got to stay to the end of the
2: podcast for that. Yeah, there's your tease. Um, Nick will read aloud a, a Bigfoot erotica story at the end of this. Yeah. Um, we have kind of a, a, a nice announcement. So we've actually uh, partnered with a new sponsor, uh, the good guys at uh, Predicted. Um, so, I, I mean, it's... I, I already love these guys. Bill, if you want to just kind of go through the basics of what this is, we're super excited to be working with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Predict It is a real money political prediction market. So you can think of it as... A stock market for politics. You can buy or sell shares in future political events. Uh, every winning share is worth a dollar, so it's, it's easy to get into. Um, and predicted has created a ton of different markets for all varieties of political outcomes. Uh, for instance, uh, which party will win the 2020 presidential election? Will Trump be impeached by the end of his first term? Um, who will be the 2020? I guess we talked about that. Um, so. And so let's say you're interested in the market of whether Trump will be impeached in his first term. The odds are currently sitting at 60-40 in favor of impeachment. So each share is a dollar, which means that it would cost you 60 cents to buy a share of no impeachment uh, and 40 cents for yes impeachment. So you've got to think about, you know, what are the odds of that? And if you bought a share of no impeachment for 60 cents and then that comes true, you get paid a dollar. But what's really fun is that you don't need to wait. Just like a stock market, you can buy and sell your shares based on how the market evolves over time. So I've been messing – go ahead.
0: So like if you bought Yes Impeachment for $0.40 and then next week some Mueller thing comes out. Yes. The the price of Yes Impeachment is going to skyrocket. And 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 you you can just turn around and sell it right then if you want.
1: Exactly. And they they have all this data of the price over time. So basically they're – So the price is the probability. So they take the price of the share, and that reflects the probability. And so, yes, so uh, this weekend I was watching – we're going to talk about the Georgia governor's race and uh, Republican against Democrat. And the odds are currently really in favor of the Republican. But the Republican is this guy that's going to cause all sorts of trouble and chaos during the campaign. (laughs) So I bought – uh, shares in the Democrat because I think what's going to happen over time is, is there's going to be some implosion and the value of the Democratic stock is going to go way up. Then I'm going to sell Phil Barker. <laughs> You're going to be rich, <laughs> yes. So it's it's incredibly fun. Uh, it's a real it's a perfect fit for us. So they're connected with the uh, with Victoria University of Wellington. Uh, they work with a lot of academics. So it's it's academic. It's fun. Uh, it's very creative. Uh, we tend to think that polls are the only way. To predict a future political outcome, I don't. Yeah, we. I think 2016. We figured out that they're not no, so good. That's pretty
2: pretty not true. Yeah. yeah. So
1: predict's whole premise is that you should look at markets and where people are spending their money as a way to see what the future may hold. I uh.
2: I could easily see it being more accurate than a standard poll. Yeah. If you're putting your money where your mouth is, in a lot of these situations, that probably means something going forward.
1: Absolutely, especially over time. Yeah.
0: I feel like there's been a lot of evidence that these these markets. I, I I don't know how much people outside of academia hear about it, but right. I I hear lots about this because there have been a lot of people who look you know prognosticators and whatnot who who have started looking to these markets because of their accuracy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and for me, what was fun was to get in to play around with some of the markets and look at them and say. Man, I, I I think this is going to happen. And this is this is a good investment. I think this political outcome is going to happen. And they have Phil, you were going to talk about they have all sorts of random and fun uh, markets to, to engage in.
0: You and I have different philosophies because you, you go after the <laughs> Georgia governor governor's race because you feel like at 40 cents the Democrat is undervalued. I I immediately went to. There's one that you can bet on that's um, or that you can you can buy that is based on whether or not Trump's going to win the 2018 Nobel Peace Prize. And right now you can get, um, I mean, no shares. So if you think that no way in hell is he going to win the Nobel Peace Prize, they cost you 92 cents. Yeah, So it's not a great deal, but it's like a 100 percent chance that that's going to pay off at a dollar. Right. That's like a nine percent return on investment for nothing.
1: (laughs) I'm totally buying
0: totally buying no stock.
1: Yeah. the 2018 Nobel Prize for Trump. Well, and you and the investment can be small, so you can buy, you know, you can buy a dollar or sixty cents, whatever it might be. You can invest more. There are limits, so it's uh, that's what separates it from a true like gambling market. There are limits, and uh, they try to prevent the total number of shares to prevent anybody from coming in and dictating the market. But mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's really fun and
2: easy to do. I honestly like- had. Go ahead, Phil.
0: It's like March. It's like a March Madness bracket for nerds.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Poli- political nerds. <laughs> yeah. I, I had no idea these markets even existed yeah. up until not that long ago. It's great. It is. Um, this is all well and good. Yes. Whatever. Uh, what's really great about this whole thing is that so predicted is offering Barstool Politics listeners a special deal. So any Barstool Politics listener who uses the promotional link uh, when opening opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. So, for example, if you open up a $20 account, they will match that $20. It's pretty much free money, which is fantastic. That's a good deal, Nick. The catch is (laughs) you have to use the promotional link that's been provided. And the link is HTTP colon (laughs) backslash backslash double. No. So uh, go to predictit.org slash promo slash barstool Paul, P-O-L, the number two, the number zero. So predictit.org slash promo slash barstool Paul 20. Uh, and yeah, you'll, you'll get that promo. It's fantastic.
1: And we will, we will share those links on our Facebook and our Twitter page. We'll put it
2: everywhere. So you don't have to listen to me try and read it out <laughs> loud anymore.
1: So, but, but it's fun and exciting. And I, I do think our listeners would be excited to, uh, to engage their website. It's, uh, I, I certainly was. It's so. really fun. We're, yeah.
2: We're very excited about it. Yeah.
1: Good fit for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about some of the
2: data in our topics today as well. So absolutely. So should we jump to topic one, Nick? Yeah, I mean, there's no collusion, but we can talk about it. And That's it's right. not a crime either, so I don't know why it's even a thing.
1: Nick, and, and anyway,
2: it was Hillary who committed the right. crime. obviously. <laughs> Pizzagate. Deep state.
1: Collusion is only a crime if you believe it's a crime. Right. So, all right, so things are heating up in the Mueller investigation. Paul Manafort's trial has started. Donald Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, alleges Trump knew about the infamous Trump Tower meeting before it took place. And Rudy Giuliani, as well as the president himself, have publicly argued that collusion isn't even a crime. I saw that tweet and I thought that can't be. He he didn't he didn't do that. He did. Uh, on Wednesday, the president launched arguably his most most forceful attack on the special counsel calling on his attorney general uh, to end the investigation. Specifically, he stated, quote, This is a terrible situation, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions should stop the rigged witch hunt right now before it continues to stain our country any further. Bob Mueller is totally conflicted, and his 17 angry Democrats that are doing his dirty work are a disgrace to USA. That's that's powerful Twitter talk. (laughs) Um, Now, it's easy to lose perspective when you get caught up in the day-to-day shenanigans, yet big picture... This week, the president's former campaign chairman is facing a trial that could lock him up for the rest of his life. His former personal attorney is alleging the president colluded with the Russian government, and his current attorney has spent much of the week on cable TV arguing that collusion isn't a crime. Can we make some sense of this? Phil Barker, walk me back from the edge. What's going on here?
0: I, I'm not going to walk you back from the edge. <laughs> <laughs> You're right to be on the edge. No, I mean, I think I think that what's happening is that... Uh, I, the 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 pressure is is building, right? I mean, this is where this is where we've talked about. This is taking a really long time from Mueller, but he has been very, I think, methodically building a case, and you start to see that play out, certainly in the Manafort trial, um, but also in lots of these other little, you know, indictments that have that have come out that haven't made necessarily big news. But there's a lot that's come out of this Mueller investigation, and I think the Manafort the Manafort trial certainly has Trump nervous. Cohen basically outright, not basically, outright saying that Trump was aware of the uh, meeting with the Russian lawyer that Don Jr. was involved in. Mezliskaya. Yes, <laughs> that Trump was involved in that, was aware of it and involved in the planning of that session, which Giuliani on TV basically um, confirmed that there was a meeting two days prior that was a planning session. And all the, the timing of the speeches that Trump made about how, in you know on monday we're going to have all of this information it is incredibly damning right this idea of the smoking gun right all of this evidence piling up if you're looking for you know beyond a reasonable doubt it feels like we've been past that point Mm -hmm. for some time the thing that's mind-blowing to me is that the like you're saying bill that this the talking point has clearly shifted from we didn't collude to collusion's not a crime which is bonkers i mean so it's bonkers for a couple of reasons i think it's bonkers because one i i mean technically the term collusion is not i guess that's true it's not a crime but it's um (laughs) but conspiracy (laughs) is it's the term you took my point oh sorry nick (laughs) conspiracy and all these other things that go around so you know collusion is the term that the media has used that doesn't mean that a crime didn't occur right it's it's um in, anyway, <laughs> so uh, it, it's it, it's amazing that they are shifting and I think will be successful in shifting. You've already seen some success in the shifting of the the talking points to um, what's so bad about getting information to benefit your campaign. I think that will work with the base. I don't think it's going to work. Certainly not going to work with federal prosecutors, right? Um, the other part that I think is interesting, and then I'll shut up for a minute, is the, the tweet that came out was it yesterday or was it today? The one about Sessions and how Sessions needs to end this. That was yesterday, mm-hmm. yeah. Yesterday. One of the stories that came out in the last week was that, that Mueller is looking to Trump's tweets for <laughs> evidence yes. of obstruction of justice, right? So This has become a news story, that this is one of the things Mueller is doing, is going through all of Trump's tweets, looking for evidence that he has obstructed justice. There can't be a more clear uh, like, attempt at, extru- at obstructing justice than that tweet. So for that story to come out and for Trump then to say, on a national platform, Jeff Sessions needs to end this witch hunt now. <laughs> it's like I, I don't. He's I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if he's if it's that he's dumb. If this is some I I just I don't think it's a legal strategy. I think it's he's a reflex machine. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I when it comes to the Twitter stuff, it's really hard. I, like a significant part of me wants to go. He's a guy who's saying this needs to be done because you don't agree with it. Not that he's demanding or he's ordering it to happen. At the same time, you're the fucking president of the United (laughs) States. So maybe cut the shit little tiny bit, just a little bit.
1: Well, his lawyers, to your point, like the hours afterwards were coming out and were the narrative that they were using was that this is just his opinion. Right. It's not uh, doctrine. It's not policy. You know, he uses and I think even Sarah Huckabee Sanders Sanders was indicating this, that this is just opinion. It's not policy. But he does use Twitter for policy. So that line gets really messy
0: and that's that's a break from long standing understanding of of preside- of the presidency yeah. i mean i think for a long time it's been assumed that if a president says something it's official it's yeah. doctrine it, you know I, I think of it's al capone's on my in my head because trump tweeted about Alphonse capone but like <laughs> yes. you know if some mob boss <laughs> tweeted out like that so that bill muck should be taken out Right. And then one of that mob boss's guys took you out and, and and he argued, it was just my opinion. I wasn't giving an order. That would not fly. Right. Like if people work for you and you say this should be done,
1: the assumption is that it's a it's an order, especially when you're the president. Nick. Right. Yeah. You're the one who made this point. Now you look skeptical. No, <laughs> I, I, I,
2: I, I still I still question whether or not it's actual doctrine. Like, I, yeah. I, I understand that he's used Twitter and social media as a platform to announce Policy. He's never it, like it, it. He doesn't rule by presidential decree. It's not how it works. There has to be some sort of legislative legislative or administrative process, bureaucratic process that's happening behind the scenes that leads to that statement. I, 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 I don't know where that fine line is. That's true.
1: I think for most cases, although in this instant instance, technically, uh, well, either Jeff Sessions or Rosenstein could fire Mueller. Sure. So, And technically, the president can tell his attorney general to do something. He has that authority. So you're right. Correct. Most of the time, there is a broader legislative process. But when it comes to the Justice Department, he could right. tell Rosenstein or tell Sessions to fire him. And now those guys may say, well, Mr. President, I'm not going to do that. You can fire me. But he still has that chain of command. So right. it's it's
2: really messy he when he could starts. He do that. Yeah. He could do it directly to the person. Yes. Putting it out on social media right. for the entire country and world to see. I don't necessarily know if that's the equivalent of doing it, giving an order directly to the person who you are trying, quote unquote, to influence. I see. Now, it could, even if that's not the case, it could still absolutely be obstruction of justice.
1: In the nah. sense that he's trying to, because if you're Bob right. Mueller at the special counsel office and suddenly says, somebody says to, hey, Bob, uh, uh, the president just tweeted, he, uh, he told Sessions to fire you, right? I mean, that's, he's like, he, wait, we're, we're trying to look into his tweets for obstruction. Right. And he right. now is saying something like this. It's just bad and legal strategy. Sure.
0: And- and again, this is not a. We are talking about this as if it's a single piece of evidence. This is one more piece of evidence in this huge pile of tweets and statements and actions and all sorts of other stuff that make it clear his intention. And so I think that's where you have to, again, at some point, it's about the the bulk of the evidence that that points to. I mean, it, it's just. I don't know. It feels like you can you can sort of nitpick any one of these individual things. But when you look at the body of evidence, it's clear that Trump is is either intimidated or threatened by this investigation. And he wants it to end. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There's lots of reports coming out of the White House from different sources that say he is losing his mind over this Manafort trial and everything else that's going on. Mueller. And it's it's bad. It's really, really
1: bad. Well, you know who I think is got to be sweating it right now is Don Jr., because Donald Trump is just tweeting things out. That's not under oath. But Don Jr. testified to Congress multiple times and did – and I think he was in front of the special counsel as well, and I'm guessing he's multiple times said that he did, he did not inform his father about this. Well, if he did in fact do that, he's guilty of perjury at, at a, to a federal officer. That's, that's serious jail time. So now they've kind of wrapped themselves up. So if Trump at some level did know this – don Jr. is in a lot of trouble i even saw some accounts and who knows whether these are true or not that trump loves to listen in on conversations that he's not part of a meeting that they'll just have him on speakerphone and there were some suggesting that that may have actually occurred that mm. he might have been listening to this conversation via speakerphone and again there's no there's no real evidence to <laughs> s- support that but it's not beyond the realm of possibility that trump would do something like that I-
0: I have no like that wouldn't surprise me if he likes to listen into conversations. I would be shocked if he did so and didn't say anything. <laughs> no, no. That's true. He just doesn't seem like the type who can sit calmly at his desk <laughs> silently while they talk about these without chiming in. That's a good point.
1: Oh, so the the Manafort trial is is heating up and it's moving quicker than many thought. So the jury selection was done basically in less than a day. Uh, they've started with uh, opening statements, and it appears that the prosecution, at least in the early stages of the trial, is trying to highlight uh, Manafort's spending habits, buying ostrich coats and spending $60,000 dollars on certain, what was it rugs. Mm-hmm. And he's bought like the average price of his tie is just under thousand dollars. So he's bought multiple ties. And that's that's stunning to me. Now, that doesn't mean he's guilty. Right. You're you're allowed. And apparently the judge has been pushing back on this to say, hey, hey, you know, prosecutors like it's there's it's not a crime. It's not a crime. crime You're just an asshole. Uh, But what apparently he was doing is that he had this money coming in from Ukraine and a way of sort of funneling it into the United States was buying all of these you know properties and clothing. And that's a quick way to move some cash. Mm -hmm. That's how you move your cash. Right, Phil? Yep, thousand dollar ties, and
0: I have three <laughs>
1: ostrich skin coats. <laughs> <You> really- <laughs> so, so where do we think all of this goes? Do we think, Phil, you were suggesting that the that Trump supporters will buy this shift that collusion isn't a crime? Do we mm-hmm. think the country as a whole is going to buy that argument, or are they going to see this distinction? And in which case, like you could feel the tide shifting against Trump quickly.
2: I, I think it. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Phil.
0: I, I think. I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I, Trump supporters are going to buy this one hundred percent, right? The idea that that um, collusion isn't a crime. If you think that Hillary Clinton and the Democrats are the highest evil in the land, then if Russia is helping stop them get elected, then Russia is an ally, right? And yeah. so I think, I think the 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 sort of core Trump base, yeah, they're going to get on board with this. You you already see, I, you know, in I've seen a number of interviews, lots of stuff on Twitter. I mean, people are already taking up this argument. The question is whether those independents, especially those Republican-leaning independents, are going to buy it, Um, and I'm less convinced of that. I think some of them will, but I think a lot of them There were a lot of them who I think were hesitant to get on board with Trump anyway. They might have been. I think a lot of them were anti-Hillary, right? I don't want Hillary, and so I'm going to vote for Trump. But it was with some level of distaste in their mouth. And I think that I think they're going to be able to be chipped away, if nothing else, even if it's not because even if it's not swinging them, turning them into Democrats on arguments about divided government about keeping trump in check i think that it's going to make a difference i think i think that all of these the cumulative um weight of all of these sorts of crazy things i think is going to push a number of people maybe not long term but in the short term away from certainly away from trump away from trump supporting
2: candidates yeah Mm -hmm. i I, go ahead nick um i i I mean the the thought Right now is that the trial is supposed to last a maximum of three weeks. And they're right? saying maybe even two weeks maybe now because they're moving weeks. so quickly. Yeah, that's crazy. So normally I'm I'm a skeptic when it comes to the the results of these types of investigations, what they're going to find and what evidence that they have. The fact that it's going to be that short and the fact that he's as old as he is, I think he's almost 70 at this point. Mm-hmm. If he is charged on any of these counts, he pretty much goes away for the rest of his life. And he is not a person who is going to be willing to do that. So if he has any information whatsoever, he will absolutely turn it over to the prosecution if that happens. But does he wait now? Does he think he can get a pardon? I mean, at this point, I don't think he has.
1: See, that's the thing. He could wait for a pardon, right? Yeah,
2: he could. I think there's I think there's enough plausible deniability that he thinks he could still get off on the off chance. that He doesn't. He's going to save Mm -hmm. his own ass. Right.
0: Hmm. The other thing yeah, because I- he he hasn't he hasn't he he hasn't shown any evidence of of flipping at this point. In fact, Not there was a, he made a statement yes yesterday I think that he would never he would never flip or he yeah. would never. Um, it, so yeah, I mean I, I mean part of I I think Mueller is I mean these are real crimes that he's going after to prosecute because if you commit them you should face a penalty, but you have to think that this is also a part of a bigger strategy and and I don't know if if this is. It's not a failure, but is it a blow to Mueller if he can't get Manafort and others to to flip on Trump by putting this pressure on them?
2: I would say,
1: so. if he can't find him guilty, I think yes, it's it's a big loss. I think he has to he has to hit Manafort, and there's there's two separate trials. He's I think he's got right, to get true. him at least in one, but likely in both. You, know, there's, you drew a nice distinction there, Phil, between the real legal jeopardy that Manafort is in and the slightly different legal jeopardy that Trump is in. right? Trump doesn't have to win a legal case. He's got to win in the court of public opinion. Ultimately, if Mueller makes a presentation, it'll go to the Congress and they're the ones that decide on impeachment, which will be a political decision. And up until this point, I think Trump has done a good job of attacking the political system. And I think his. we should talk about Rudy Giuliani, who honestly like, can hardly put sentences together anymore, but he does seem somewhat effective <laughs> in terms of hammering away at Trump's core points. I mean, I I wouldn't... If I was on death row, I would not want Rudy, you know, being my lawyer. But he is effective in a very Trumpian way in terms of shifting public opinion. I mean, he's bizarre. He's on cable TV all the time, and uh, he has to go back from one to the other to clean up what he said. But maybe his incompetence and confusion helped just further muddies the water.
2: Yeah, I think think obfuscation at this point Mm -hmm. is a really good strategy for them. I I mean, they have... The majority of the uh, the Republican base in their pocket, if they continue to confuse people with rhetoric and uh, rhetoric and and bizarre opinions and things that, like you said, just completely muddy the waters, I, I, I don't know. It seems like a really effective strategy because it's clearly working for Trump. Yeah, I don't know why you would shy away from that at this point. it's it's suspected best that they're going to come out of that the Democrats are going to come out of this ahead. yeah, and if they don't, then it really will look like it's a witch hunt. Yeah, I, I I don't know. They have a lot to lose right now.
1: Well, we were you know talking about predicted again. We were saying that the betting right now is or do you have the data, Phil? Well,
0: I was just looking at yeah. Manafort. I was looking oh, okay. at Manafort. The money right now on the Manafort trial is that uh, the, the highest priced um, share is that Manafort's going to be guilty on 11 to 20 charges. <laughs> so, I mean, that, the, the money says that the man's going away.
1: Yeah. So the money says he's going away, but as we were talking about earlier, the fact, the likelihood that he's getting impeached is still 60% that he's not going to get impeached, uh, which I, I think that is surprising. I would think it
2: would be lower. I mean, I think I don't think he's going to get impeached in, the, no, in this first term.
0: It's his
1: first term, yeah. right? So yeah.
2: I, yeah. I, I, I honestly think a lot of that, that'll shift very rapidly after the results of this trial.
1: That's a good point, right? Uh, up until this point, Trump has had a PR advantage, but if Mueller starts getting victories— if he starts putting people away in jail and as more evidence comes out it could quickly shift against trump and that's what happened when we go back to nixon's impeachment early on there was a lot of skepticism of what's going on and then that evidence started hitting and quickly the public and republicans turned against nixon that,
0: I, that's really interesting to me because i i want to believe that too but manafort has brought down like he has already put a number of people in jail and has had people you mean be Mueller, guilty. Muller. yeah. What did I say? Manafort, Ma- Manafort's yes. going Mueller. to jail. <laughs> yes, yes <that's> Manafort right. <laughs> will be
1: on that list soon. But, no, <laughs> yeah. Mueller
0: has has already. I mean, he's brought a, a significant number of uh, criminal charges yeah. against against a significant number of people, and and you know we have people who have already pled guilty to to stuff, and so, I mean, I guess Manafort is more high profile than others, but it's. I, I, I don't know. I'm not. I, I want to be convinced that if convictions start coming in, I, I feel like people. There's the there's the possibility that people will dismiss Manafort stuff as Manafort. Right. Mm-hmm. Manafort was a bad egg, but that's not Trump. That's, I, don't, I don't know. I, I would like to believe that something different will go. But. It may.
1: It may. We may have to wait until there is or if even again, if, if there is any evidence against Trump himself, like that may be the one that tips uh, the public in one direction or another. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Well, yeah. In the end. George Casanza, it's not a lie if you believe it. It's so great. <laughs> All
1: right, we should talk beers. We have we have good or was there anything else we wanted to cover on this?
2: I'm good. Beer is delicious. All right. Mm-hmm. Good. All right, Phil, what are you drinking?
0: So, I heard from a little bird that the two of you were <laughs> going to be drinking some uh some beer from uh Treehouse. Yeah which is a um, brewery in Massachusetts that is kind of legendary around these parts because you can't get it in stores. You can only get it at the brewery. There's a long line to get it. So I went out and picked up some myself so I could drink along with you. (laughs) So it's not the same beer, but I have a Treehouse Brewing um, Eureka, which is their American Blondale. I've only had one of their other beers in the past. It was great. And this one also was really good. Um, It was it had the hoppiness that I like, the lightness that I like. It was it was excellent. I would I would gladly drink a lot of this. I don't know that I'm willing to stand in line for two hours for it, but I would drink it, a lot of it, if someone would give it to me.
1: Well, a little bit of backstory on what Nick and I are drinking is we, I have, we have some family friends, uh, family, who lives out in Boston, and they were out in Chicago this weekend, and they're fans of the podcast. And so they brought us some wonderful, their favorite Boston beers. And the one Nick and I are having is from Treehouse uh, Green. And, Phil, you were saying this one's, like, impossible to get. All
0: all of their beers are difficult. They're just (laughs) hard to get.
1: And I was on their webpage. Their brewery sounds fantastic. I mean, it's just the pictures are exciting. It looks like a wonderful place. They're doing it for the right reasons. And this beer, the green, it was good. It's good. (laughs) It's so,
2: it's, it's, it looks creamy. Yes. It's very cloudy, amber colored. It's really good. It's an IPA. It's, um, it's got a little bit of, of pungentness yeah. to it, but I, I, I don't know. Like I feel like it's very um, very velvety.
1: Oh, that's a great word. Yeah, they so they describe it as with notes of pineapple, orange sorbet, and tangerine. And they make God, no apologies that, that it coats the palate with intense hop goodness. And yes, it is. It kind of just coats your tongue. Mm-hmm. This is the best beer I've had in a long, long, long yeah, time. it's I, very good. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So then the other beer we had. Was from Earth uh, Eagle Brewing, and this one is called Natsu. Is that? Am I pronouncing that right? Is
2: Natsu. That, is that?
1: Is that, How do we say that? I think
2: that's it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And tell us, tell us about the hops in this one, Nick. So
2: it's uh, dry hopped with Sorachi Ace and Centennial hops. Yes. Not Sriracha. Yes. For the uninitiated, <laughs> there are no Sriracha hops, as far as I know. Um, yeah, this one was was interesting. I liked it. Um, it was definitely lighter uh it has it has kind of a sweet aroma but then you drink it and it has kind of a, a a very different bitter aftertaste yes. to it which wasn't bad it was just very unexpected
1: that's the thing with that beer i, I liked it as well it's a nice summery beer but it was it, it caught me off guard i was like oh i wasn't expecting that i don't know if it was the specific hops or the dry hoppiness of it but but it was good yeah and i get the sense that this brewery is just doing weird and funky stuff they're like we're gonna we're gonna go with sriracha hops and um, yeah, it was it was it was good between the two. This IPA, this green yeah. was amazing, but they were both really really spectacular. Yeah. They should beers. really
2: start putting just sriracha in this. That's what right. Happens. So thank
1: you, <laughs> yeah. thank you, Nick and Alethea. We've got more beers coming, and I was telling Nick uh, they went to a, a, a monastery, what I'm calling a monkery, and got <laughs> us um, some some fancy beers made by monks, which we will we will do in a future uh, episode. So tease, yes, tease. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Speed round. Yep. Let's do it. So topic number one, uh, Georgia's governor's race. I would say this is the most, for me, the interesting race of the year. While nobody was looking, Georgia's governor's race has turned into arguably the most fascinating election. It pits Republican Brian Kemp against Democrat Stacey Abrams. Uh, Kemp, the Republican, is an unabashed, unabashed Trump supporter who has branded himself as a politically incorrect conservative who would, quote, round up criminal illegals. He calls them criminal illegals mm-hmm. and haul them to the border in his own pickup. Woo, America. That, he's, he's got extra time. Uh, the, de- <laughs> <laughs> the Democratic nominee, Stacey Abrams, a liberal, is the first black woman to be a major party nominee for governor in the United States history.
0: That's shocking to me. It is. Yes, it
1: is. Uh, These two candidates perfectly reflect the deep divisions in the country, and the outcome will be a defining moment for the country. Uh, Stacey Abrams' candidacy will test just how much the state's traditional conservative politics are shifting. Uh, Like many southern states, Georgia is experiencing rapid demographic change. Uh, its non-white population has grown to forty percent from just, I think it was twenty-nine percent in nineteen ninety. Uh, Phil is a good Southern boy. Uh, what's your take on this, and and what are we thinking about what's going to play out here, and what are the markets? What are the markets saying? <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I mean this this feels like a microcosm of American politics. So, uh, you know, you sent me this article today. The New York Times yeah. had an article about this race It was really fascinating because it was talking about how all these people who are essentially centrists, you know, I. The, w- it was what a week or two ago when james comey tweeted about how he the democratic yes. party shouldn't go crazy left there's lots of moderate uh, americans moderate republicans that are counting on them staying moderate this seems like there were there were a lot of people talking about just that they felt sort of left out you have a democratic candidate who has gone very progressive like fits in this you know in into the kind of model of, of what the what has been the sort of active part of the democratic party over the last year and a half you have a Republican party candidate who's going all in Trump style. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not it, like the, I think maybe the interesting thing is that it's not already locked up for the Republican in right. a Southern state. I mean, this is, this is the interesting part and this is where um, it'll be really interesting to see how much, it, because, you know, in all the stuff we've talked about in the last couple of weeks about whether Democrats can chip away Republicans. Um, I think that's a, an important question but the part that we haven't talked about which i think is maybe more important is about enthusiasm yeah. and turnout and so even if people aren't switching parties or leaving the republican party if democrats are fired up and republicans are you know not that fired up because of trump then you have the real possibility particularly you know, we've talked about in the past Texas and whether Texas is going to change because of demographic reasons. You know, Atlanta is has, I mean, it's it's I, I should have looked up the numbers in in my mind. It's a it's a majority African-American city. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have um, uh, you know, if, if you have with demographic changes, if you have people who are enthusiastic voters, there's the real possibility that. Georgia I saw this week um the in Texas Ted Cruz is in it now essentially a virtual dead tie so some of these southern states that That's we've stunning. talked about could really play out now the question is whether if if the democrats had a more moderate candidate would that help their chances or would that hurt their chances because you're trying to balance again the enthusiasm of the base versus you know, people who might slough off of the Republican Party to come to your side. And that I I don't know. That's a hard that's a hard strategy. What are the what are the moderates
2: going to do? This is a great question. Nick, go ahead. I, I, I you have to take the lesson from 2016 in that there is still a giant silent majority that does come out when things get tough. And this is one of those situations where I'm sure they will come out in droves and nobody is taking that into account. Having said that, the demographic shift is huge especially in Georgia right now um I still think that the Republicans are going to hang on to this regardless of how fired up the Democrats are you have history contend with, uh, to contend with you have a large uh, working class population you have elements that are traditionally part of the Democratic Party uh, specifically minority elements that do support you know I, I, I don't want to say I, I just won't say anything um Elements of the Republican platform yeah. right now, especially under um, the Republican nominee, I. I really, really think that the Republicans are going to hold on to this. I
1: I, I tend to think you're right for a couple of reasons. One, it's a midterm election, so turnout is going to be lower. And so traditionally in presidential elections, you see larger turnout uh, in minority groups. So that's that's against them. For me, turnout is the big issue, as well as uh, moderates. What are moderates going to do? And and the other factor is what will white women do? So are white women turned off by Trump enough that they shift over and support the Democratic nominee, uh, or, or I think Trump won like 70% of white women in Georgia. So that's, that's a big factor. Yeah. All of that being said, so if you go to predict it right now, the market, uh, they've got basically 60 to 40, the Republican winning. I think those are crazy numbers, right? And so this week, I was I was taking the Democrat because it's going to be much closer. I think there's going to yep. be movement. Uh, there's no way that uh, Kemp doesn't do things that are bizarre, that are going to turn people off. And uh, I, I'm excited about this one because it's going to it's going to get to the core of what's going on in the country right now. I'll take and, some and of th- that action. You can take it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's not just can- it's not just the Republican candidate that might do stuff crazy as well. It's it's uh, what happens with Trump. Right. So yes. if Trump de- if, if Trump goes all if he goes overboard crazy or if some of these allegations start sticking, I think that is only going to help the Democrat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was the bell, right? Yeah. OK. All right. <laughs> Let's go to topic two. <laughs> Speaking of elections. The midterms are looking good for the Dems. So we're roughly 100 days from the midterms, and it's looking like the Democrats have emerged as the clear favorite for retaking control of the House of Representatives. Now, they won't admit this if you ask them, but a number of key indicators are pointing in that direction. Uh, The Cook Political Report put out a major uh, document last week highlighting the likelihood of the House flipping to the Democrats. Of course, the 2016 uh, election should have taught us that to be extremely cautious about such predictions. And while the House looks like it could flip, the Senate is looking to be more safely in control of the Republicans. Phil, what are your sources telling you? Um, again, this is another topic where we can kind of hit on the predictive data. But what are you what are you what are you seeing here? I think I mean,
0: so again, we've talked we talked last week some midterm elections tend to swing against the party in in power, um, certainly the presidential party in power. Um, I, I I. mean, if I were a betting man, I would bet that that what's likely to happen is that I think it's Likely that the Democrats are going to take back the House. I think it's tough for them to take back the Senate. Yeah. That's going to be a much harder situation. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think you know, there's just increasing evidence. It's it, so we talked about how uh, when you're talking about Trump, <laughs> that you can't just take one data point. You have mm-hmm. to look at essentially this sort of bulk of the evidence. And and I like you. There there is increasing. Evidence. It's not just that you know a, an African American woman who's you know outspokenly liberal is in this race in Georgia. It's that Ted Cruz is yes. in a statistical dead heat in Texas. It's that you know all over the country there are there are races. Um, all of these special elections have gone strongly. Even if the Democrats have lost, they've done way better than they did under Trump. I I, I just think there's a lot of evidence that the Demo- I I would. I would be shocked if the Democrats don't make big gains. Whether that means they pick up enough to actually swing control of the House and Senate is a whole nother question.
1: Nick,
2: What's the market doing right All now? All
1: right. So the, the market, <laughs> the curious. predicted market. So it's interesting when you look at the House. So right now, uh, Democrats at 66 percent or six. It would, so it would cost you 66 cents to buy a share that the Democrats are going to win the House. So that's that's pretty high. But. It would cost you 73 cents or 73 percent to buy Republicans maintain control of the Senate. So the odds that the Democrats are going to win the House are high. But the how the odds that the Republicans maintain control of the Senate are even higher.
2: It's 60 40 Mm -hmm. for the House. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm going to say right now. And I will, put, I, I will put this in the market, yeah. that the Republicans will retain control of both the House and the Senate. There, there's money to be made, Nick. I know. <laughs> That's I, why I'm going to do it. <laughs> I also
1: think that, so if you looked at the market right now i Predict It, so it's basically 73 to 30 Republicans for over Democrats. That seems to be a bit askew as well. I think the Democrats have a better
2: chance. I think that might be... Uh, All of this deep. is going to close. It's yeah. going to get very, very close. Sure. I, yeah. Go ahead,
0: do you have that data in front of you? Bill? Yes. Yeah. Like, do you do you have the, the history like have the have the Republic? I mean, sorry, the Democratic chance has been just continuing to climb in terms of the price of that of that share.
1: Let me look at that. Um, now, now I'm going to have to remember where I saw that
0: here. I can see if I can pull it up. Can you
1: pull it up? Um, yes, they do show it over time. Who
0: will control the House? I'm
1: looking at it. Yeah. right Yeah. Um, I'll see if I can't find the Senate because. It does seem to. Well, the problem with the Senate is that a lot of the open seats favor Republicans. So that's why the Senate is going to be so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, and, and in the House, you have all of this, This you know, that we've talked about it in other contexts. But gerrymandering comes in as well. You take seats yes. that would be typically competitive and you make them very safe. And so that that right. is going to work to the advantage of Republicans as well, who over the last decade have taken control of state governments largely and have been in put in, put in power of, of drawing legislative districts so they have they have been able to um it's it's beyond just you know it, it's beyond just popularity of the parties they have a number of structural things that work to their advantage as well that's keep, right
2: keep in mind that there are also a i think a record number of conservative women that are running for office as well it's, yes it's if you want to play the identity politic game, the uh, politics game, the Republicans will do that just as well as the Democrats, and it's it seems more likely to me that people will, especially in gerrymandered districts in places that are uh, somewhere purplish, slightly red, will tend to, regardless of what the you know overarching narrative is that's out there on a national level right now, I think people will side with that over the Democrats.
1: It does look like in the Senate, over time, the Republicans' odds have gone up. So that's trending in that direction. So it it's going to be interesting
0: to see. I have I have had conversations with family members who I never dreamed would do anything but vote Republican, who have started to express frustration with the Republican Party in the last. And so that that more than anything sort of blows my mind and makes me think that maybe there, I, I, maybe I'm maybe I shouldn't be as cynical as I actually have become about people's ability to actually judge how a a party is doing and make decisions accordingly.
1: One of the things that happened this week that we're not really going to talk much about is the Koch brothers and Trump had a major split where Trump Mm -hmm. pushed back and called them out. And that that is significant because they are major Republican uh, donors and benefactor. I mean, they are spending a lot of money to get Republicans elected. And this shows the major cleavage between that element of the Republican Party and Donald Trump.
2: But regardless, and, they're not dumb enough to completely separate their support from the Republican. Party. No, they're not. So right. So yeah. They I'd, still want Republicans to but win. In the end, it, it's you know, it's it's, it's power politics. You, you Bet on a winning horse. Yeah. And if you're the one that, you know, takes care of the horse and breeds the horse, then you're probably going to do better sticking with your guns. It's a battle way. for the soul of the party. No, it's not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, let's, let's shift gears. We'll, we'll go away from, from domestic politics and talk about international, specifically North Korea. So at every opportunity, President Trump has touted the results of his North Korean diplomacy, a uh, diplomacy insisting since his June summit with Kim Jong-un that North Korea is no longer a nuclear threat. Yet despite these assertions, the reality has proven to be much more complicated. North Korea has continued its work on missile and weapons programs since the summit, including the manufacturing new intercontinental ballistic missiles. There was some good news on Wednesday as North Korea returned what are believed to be the remains of 55 soldiers killed during the Korean War. Yet, It is far from clear that North Korea has any intention of dismantling its nuclear program. And actually, as Nick mentioned earlier in the podcast, I believe it was earlier today, Trump tweeted uh, at Kim Jong Un, and he said, "Thank you, Chairman Kim Jong Un, for keeping your word and starting the process of sending home the remains of our great and beloved missing fallen." I am not at all surprised you took this kind action. Also, thank you for your nice letter. I look forward to seeing you soon.
2: XOXO. Aww, oh, that's sweet.
1: It, it, it does. It's that's. Who sends tweets like that, Phil?
2: <laughs> <laughs> You send not, in a DM, not the you president do of the United States. Everybody. You don't do that publicly. <laughs> that's that's
1: bad diplomacy.
0: So, I, and we, I mean, so you you are, I feel like in some ways you're giving too much credit. <laughs> so North Korea did send the the remains of 55 people right back this week, but if you talk to people other than Trump, it's unclear at this point who those people are if they are actually American soldiers. Um. This is an incredibly small portion of the actual number of American soldiers who, whose remains are still in uh, North Korea. They have sent body or remains back in the past. I forget when it was. Maybe, I don't remember if it was Obama or if it was. They sent, I think, five or six soldiers remains back at another point. And after examination, they sent back remains with dog tags. The remains did not match the dog tags. They were not. So there, there's no. Yeah you know this the idea of like you know putting this up as a victory is that it it could be right if we are actually making progress then then great if they are willing to return you know to repatriate the remains of American soldiers that's fantastic um but we have yet to actually determine if that is occurring and in fact it was who was it um somebody in Trump's administration one of the adults in the room openly was saying this week that we don't know actually what is you know whose remains these are so being yeah. cautious.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: And and the the other part that is has me a little again we talked last week about if you're Iran, how do you what what conclusions do you draw based off of North Korea? So earlier this week Donald Trump is openly saying that he's open to to conversations with the Iranian government. No, no preconditions, right? right? which when Barack Obama s- said that he would do that, led people's heads to explode. But again, I mean, it's, I, it's, it fits into this pattern of you create a crisis, claim that the crisis is over and claim success. And that claim is essentially severed from actual reality. Right. The, you know, when you look at this idea that North Korean relations are improving when they're actually ramping up nor- nuclear production.
1: Anyway, yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> this is an easy one to get worked yeah. up on. Nick, what are you thinking?
2: i I'm like, why would you trust the North Koreans on anything? Right. <laughs> we, right. I, 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 we, we knew this was not going to be an easy process. Yeah. I, I think there's still time to get real positive outcomes right. out of this, especially if there's some sort of ramping up of economic efforts, especially between North and South Korea, and a de escalation of trade tensions with China and. You know more diplomatic talks, probably not with Pompeo because they really, really don't like him or Bolton. They really don't like him. Um, With someone, Um, an intern if they have one. Um, Yeah, it's. I I, I don't send send Eric over. Send Eric. (laughs) Yeah, let him take care of Asia and the Middle East, and everything will be fine. Nobel Peace Prize is all around. Um, It's there's still time. I I don't trust them one bit. Um, It's. I, I don't know. I still think that there's um, the the positive developments that are coming out of this, at least a deescalation of an uh, overt optics mm-hmm. nature is is good. If we can continue down that path and link them more integrally into a global economy, we'll see less and less of this going forward.
1: I do think that because of the summit. North Korea, Kim Jong Un—they're seen less as a pariah, and that's a win for them, which is going to make it more difficult for the hard work of negotiation and diplomacy. I, my guess is that they have no interest in denuclearizing. I mean, that—that's—that's that's not even something no, they're contemplating. No. Which then begs the question, what are we looking to get out of this? And just because they're not going to fully denuclearize doesn't mean that you can't talk about limitations. Right. And, and that can be very, very successful diplomacy. So I, I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You think about, okay, where are we now? And, and Pompeo, even though they don't like him, mm. he's, he's a hawk on North Korea. He can be effective. And my hope is that he can push this conversation in a productive direction where you don't get the win you you wanted, but you get something that leaves the world and the United States right. in a better position. To,
2: yeah, they need to learn to play the long game. Exactly. This, yeah. yeah, this will be a process that is not going to be won yeah. with, you know, a presidential visit and Pompeo you know, clearly not thinking right. what happened, was yes. what actually happened according to North Korea.
1: Now, Trump doesn't play the long game well, but others in the administration could play, could do that. Yeah.
0: So I, I have a question for well for either of you. Yeah. Um, but the one of it makes sense to me why, despite the evidence, Trump would continue to claim that North Korea is denuclear. It's hard to de- say denuclearizing. <laughs> um, you know he wants that victory. He wants the the press of it. But one of the interesting things I've seen or read a lot about this week is that South Korea is also continuing to claim that North Korea is denuclearizing, even though there is lots of abundant evidence that they are not. Why? Why is what's in it for North, for South Korea to continue to basically look the other way or to claim that this is, is it? Do you think it's that same thing? They see that hey, if we can foster relations, that's good, and if we have to pretend, have to look the other way for a little while to do that. Do you think that's what their goal is or what that's what their aim is? Why? Why? Again, Trump makes sense. South Korea makes less sense to me.
1: Well, South Korea, while they. Um, they clearly care about the nuclear weapons. For them, it's the conventional war is as dangerous right. as a nuclear war. So any anything that that reduces the tension, creates space for political dialogue, economic exchange, all of that seems productive. So they may look at Trump and say, he's he's bizarre, he's crazy. But as long as there's conversation, we've got political space for conversation. I, I don't know. I'm 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 a little I'm wondering the same thing. But I do think that they. Anything that's short of rocket man kind of conversation is better for South Korea. Um, I will say, so if we jump back to Predicted as well, they've got a bunch of stuff on North Korea. My favorite is Will Kim Jong un be the North Korean leader at the end of the year? So you guys probably haven't looked. What do you think the
2: odds of that are from Predicted? Okay, Phil.
1: I would guess 93. It's at 94. So to go to Phil's, you know, philosophy of there are, there's 6% that are saying, no, he's going to be out. That's easy money. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I I think that I, I'll I'll put, I'll put this out there. You just need a coup. Yes. I I think there's a greater chance that Kim Jong-un is out by the end of the year than Trump winning the Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) (laughs) Can we put Ooh,
2: that in there? Can we suggest that?
1: That would that? be a good. That's a good predicted.
0: Um, way, but you can't. You can't. If yeah,
1: I would still. No. I would take. I would take the Nobel Prize. <laughs> I'd, I'd <laughs> bet against you. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right, next topic. So uh, coming back to the United States, the question is: Are Trump's rallies good for America? The media, and specifically CNN reporter Jim Acosta, was greeted by a hostile crowd at President Trump's rally in Trump uh, in Tampa, Florida, on Tuesday. The president didn't even need to encourage his crowd. Before his speech, large large numbers of audience members crowded around Acosta, giving him the middle finger and leading chants of CNN sucks. Uh, The president signaled his approval by retweeting his son Eric's praise for the treatment. Now, even Anthony Scaramucci, the Mooch. The former White House communication director acknowledged some concern, tweeting, This isn't our best. It's not who we are. Now, this begs the question of whether these frequent rallies are really good for the country. They're certainly good for Trump, and his supporters love them. But one wonders what what the long-term impact will be. Phil, you're known for regularly giving people the middle finger. <laughs> what's, what's your reaction? Very good segue. Yeah, well, I like that one. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean... I, you know my reaction right the, uh, did you see the videos did oh, you watch, did you watch yes. the videos yeah. from the They're from hilarious. The... <laughs> it's um yeah i mean it's really disheartening i mean this is uh, i think what's disheartening, it's not it's not terribly surprising that there is a portion of america who feels this strongly about it it's a little concerning that there's a, you know a decent size Portion of America that feels this way. What's really disconcerting is the extent to which the president of the United States and the people around him are condoning or encouraging this behavior, um, because you know we what the evidence. You know what we've talked about is is that it, it's clear that Trump has a lot of power with his base, and so if he's encouraging this behavior, this behavior is going to grow. I I was I was impressed with uh, who was it was it Acosta that was the. Yes. The, the, okay. Who was he, accosted? He, <laughs> no, I, was. I was impressed with his willingness to stand there and take it and yes. actually answer questions and and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, it's it's deeply it's it's concerning.
1: <laughs> Nick, the, my favorite image, or I don't know, favorite, troubling favorite, whatever it was, was the one woman who was she was so vehemently giving, really angry. Yeah, I mean, it was an angry middle finger. There's well, like they giving do somebody suck
2: pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, oh, <laughs> it's I. I I don't know if it's concerning. I um it's it's interesting mm-hmm. and it's relatively unheard of. What I do know is that you've got he's playing the game really, really Trump well. Is. Regardless yeah. of there's a, a huge Portion of those crowds that are his base and that are going to support him no matter what. There's another part of those rallies, and there are thousands of people that come to these things that want to go there just to see this shit happen. And realistically, if you go to something like that and you're unsure of something, and it's a, if you're going to a concert or a pep rally or something <laughs> like that, you're gonna come out of there going, oh, "It's pretty entertaining," you know. It's 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 a rallying cry. It it influences people in a way that does, to some extent, cloud their judgment Mm -hmm. or shift their opinions. Whether rightly or wrongly, that's the game that is being played right now. And and I I think that it's a more overt, very high-level thing that's happening with Trump uh, and, to some extent, the the Republicans. But you're not going to tell me that the Democrats don't try and do that in many other situations when they try to... Pander to elements of their base or people that they're trying to get to vote for them for this very life-altering, transformative midterm election that we have coming up. I I think it's 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 taken to the umpteenth level with Trump in right, these right. things. That's an important but point. That's but that's it's still. Difference. It's still the game that's being played. So play it better than your opponent.
1: You know, for me, you're right that all politics pander, politicians pander. That's just part of the game. But it does. This seems to me to have crossed a line where it's potentially dangerous, particularly, you know, there were a number of uh, stories this week about reporters, not just CNN, but saying that this has been going on since the campaign. And a lot of them at these rallies feel targeted. And they say this is our job and it's probably going to be okay. But they say there are a number of rallies where you're not sure that's the case. Uh, Does somebody go too far? And I I do think Trump plays a role in enabling that, in allowing that. I saw John Dean, the former uh, attorney for Nixon, uh, was talking this week, and he said that you know Hillary made a mistake by calling Trump supporters deplorables. But this behavior is deplorable, right? That what they're doing at these rallies or certain contingents of Trump supporters—it goes too far, and that the Republicans should try to rein this in. Uh, and I, I did—I like that distinction. You don't target the people, but the behavior for me feels like it's—it's it's beyond what we would we should accept within the political spectrum, even though it's fun and exciting and entertaining. It's not fun. Well, for the, for the Trump, like Trump supporters are loving this, right? I mean, that's the thing. I so, mean, this is this is. I, I bet going to a Trump rally is a lot of fun. He's doing comedy
2: acts up there. Yeah, man. he's got great timing. That's right.
0: Claiming that you. So yeah. Anyway, this is also This is also the rally where he claimed you needed an ID to buy groceries, right? Yes, so yes. We're not even talking
1: about that. Wait, wait. But just here, real, I, real quick. Did you hear the, what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said about that? That he, yeah, meant, he meant alcohol. Yes. <laughs> right. so, I'm sorry. It's terrible. Go ahead.
0: I mean the thing about this is I politicians may pander but this is getting very close to inciting violence right this is where it gets different it and but the other thing beyond that is the demonizing of the opposition all right we can we can you know, you know we can have a debate about how dangerous that is but the the thing here is that the demonizing of the media what that does is it, it it create it undermines the idea that there is actually a, an accurate account of something out there that you can you know it it is it is very much in Trump's self-interest if you create this idea that all of the media are biased then when all of this Mueller stuff or whatever starts coming down you don't face any pressure from it this is you know in this like grand scheme of the erosion of democracy attacks on the press are right up there in the playbook of how to do this so you know, there's, there's one issue, which is, is it, how dangerous is it to get your base fired up? Right. But there's another element in that he's getting them fired up about sources of, of, you know, information regarding politics and world events. And that's where it's to me, doubling, doubly concerning. It, it worries me anytime you have a mob of people fired up about something, but this, the end goal is to sort of undermine the credibility of basically all information, right? I mean, Trump, said whatever last week that you don't you know what you're seeing and hearing is not is not true. Yeah. that's that's the part that scares me. the the sort of idea that my version of truth is the only is you know anyone who tells you different than me is wrong.
1: What's been telling for me is the the degree to which the press corps has come together and defended each other. I mean, even Fox News, their their news segment has come mm-hmm. together to defend CNN uh, and to say we're all doing this together. And that, that suggests that Trump may have gone too far. And it doesn't speak to the more opinion journalism, whether it's Hannity or or Rachel Maddow but like for the news coverage right that they're starting to realize that this is a, a dangerous place that we've drifted
2: but that's the thing too. the media has transformed into not just standard journalism anymore given right. the 24-hour news cycle it's pretty much every network is news retainment mm-hmm. at this point they're all owned by uh, owned by giant corporations and they regardless of what you think or what network you you ascribe to they all have a political bent to them in some way shape or form so there is an element, at least now, that we haven't really had to deal with before, that there is a sense of doubt, regardless of which side of the political spectrum you're on. And not only that, you have a, a level of access to quote-unquote journalists that you didn't have prior to this point in time with social media and the internet and the ability to look up their backgrounds and things that they've said previously. There was an example that I saw today of someone who got appointed to the Uh, New York Times editorial board Um, and there was just these list of tweets that she had about how she hates white people and white people aren't breeding anymore so you're going to go extinct extinct, and that was my plan all along. Like, nine or ten different things and people losing their minds Mm -hmm. over this. Uh, Like, there's there's enough doubt that is possible, again, from either side um, to really... (laughs) Hamper legitimate journalism, which I do think exists, but it's so friggin' hard to figure out who those people are at this point. Well, and those lines are sometimes hard to see uh, because
1: obviously there's a distinction between the editorial boards for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the beat coverage, right? That, that there are distinctions there. Uh, the same thing with NBC News and MSNBC coverage, and I mean all of these things. But some, you're, it's easy to blur those lines, mm-hmm. and that is to the benefit of Trump. Uh, and and really will harm the media. So I I think it's important that we find those lines because otherwise this is an ugly spot.
0: And, and everyone does have a bias, right? Everyone in the world has yeah, a take on right. something. But there's a difference between being biased and, and doing inaccurate reporting. So you can have a view on something and still accurately report the the situation at hand and filtering that out. And that's where you're absolutely right. The, the Fox News and the MSNBCs of the world have muddied all of those waters. And they I, I think they do bear some of the blame for it. But Um, Yeah. Trump is without a doubt taking advantage of that for his own gain. Yes. Yes.
2: I just wanted to say we'll be doing a rally um, immediately (laughs) after the podcast talking about how great we are and how terrible every other podcast Podcast is.
0: is. Before we move on real quick today Sarah Sanders was asked twice if she would I don't remember how it was worded basically if the press is the enemy of the people or if she would refute that statement and she refused to from the White House briefing. So that that's beyond like yeah. hey CNN is biased against us. So talking about the press as the enemy of the people, and and not just saying that at rallies, but having the official White House spokesperson refuse to deny that, that's that, that's it's, problematic. It,
1: that it is a distinction between all previous presidential administrations, Democrat and Republican, that way. All right, let's let's jump to a fun topic to finish: Bigfoot erotica. So. <laughs> All right. Leslie Cockburn, a Democrat congressional nominee in Virginia, has accused her Republican opponent, Denver Riggleman, all interesting names, Mm. of campaigning Mm. with white supremacists and being the author of Bigfooted-themed erotica. Yeah, you heard that correctly. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Riggleman said he was merely writing a book about people who believe in Bigfoot, but denied that it contained any erotic content. The picture was the result of a, quote, 14-year practical joke between me and my military buddies. The infamous image from Mr. Riggleman's Instagram account was of a naked drawing of Bigfoot with a censored bar hanging from his crotch to his knees. He held his arms aloft as if to shrug. I do include the picture for us here. But fantastic. Yes. Uh, the Two questions for either of you. Uh, did you know that Bigfoot erotica existed and can't we find better candidates for Congress, Nick?
2: No? No. <laughs> no. Who, not, who wants to jump into that shit? We're not storm? trying hard enough. No, it's it's <laughs> lunatics and narcissists and and sociopaths who jump in at this point. I, I, oh, it's, it's good for Bigfoot, I hey. guess, but yeah. <laughs> it's good for Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious I, if this will work or not, Phil.
0: <laughs> I mean, I so. <laughs>
1: He was on Bigfoot erotica.
0: <laughs> he, this guy did uh, well,
1: the the sort of the the
0: neo-Nazi that he campaigned with was Richard Spencer, right? Yes, like he actually yeah. did events with Richard Spencer. I I would like to hope. I would like to think that campaigning with Richard Spencer would be enough to do you in that that would actually be more damage to your campaign than whether you tweeted a, a photo <laughs> a, a questionable foot. photo of Bigfoot <laughs> um you know i I don't love that america that that uh members of Congress might be fans of Bigfoot erotica, but I find that they're fans of of you know uh you know uh, i don't know fan fiction Nazis Nazism to <laughs> be even more of a problem um <laughs> As far as, I mean, this is, it it ties in a little bit to what we were just talking about with Fox News and MSNBC and the deep partisanship and all of that. I I have to say that, I mean, as noble as like, um, as American government and representative government, as as noble as that, as I would like to think of of that being, you know, taking up some cause that you believe in, there's, I kind of agree with Nick, there's a shitload of disincentives to do that. If you're a good person... (laughs) Or even if you're, you know, if you're a really great person with one, you know, some bad thing you've done in your past, there's just very, it's, I I, I would be, I mean, I I don't blame people for saying, I don't want to put myself through this to put myself out there for public dissection. Mm -hmm. It's not so much about ideas anymore because of all of this craziness. We're going to find the worst thing you've ever done and hit on that. And that's, that's,
1: it's dis, it's disheartening. Mm Mm-hmm. It strikes me if we zoomed back to like a big picture look at politics this year, how weird is everything? I mean, think back. I often think of back. Think back to politics in the '80s and '90s. How boring that was. I mean, even Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was exciting, but nothing like Donald Trump and Bigfoot erotica like we' we're in a new zone and I don't know if we can ever come back from that I, I if, if we if we if suddenly Donald Trump goes away uh and and extremists and partisans on both sides tamp down we become a more centrist political system it's maybe we'll solve a lot of problems and we'll become a tech you know technocratic regime but it's I just can't imagine that anymore. I,
2: I think we would see the exact same things throughout history if we had the tools that we have now back then. <laughs> so. uh, regardless of you know, what you think about previous administrations and presidents and individuals who have been, you know, part of, of national or, or um local governments, it's this this ability to dig this shit up or uh, on top of that have your supporters find the shit for you and be able to disseminate it to everyone yeah. it's so easy to do that it takes zero effort and you have you have leverage at that point why wouldn't you use those tools if they're readily available to you all the time we would absolutely have seen more of this during <laughs> the Clinton administration if it was available Nixon would have been gone long before any, any of the shit that he did happen it's I like I, I hate constantly harping on it social media is fucking evil yeah. it is an evil evil thing I, I I don't know and
1: but follow us on Twitter yeah Facebook. absolutely follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Barso Politics.
2: Barso Apologize. um yeah it's it brings out the worst in people and I, you you the the narrative that it's supposed to bring people together and it's about communication and it's all bullshit Everyone is entitled to their opinion. Most of you have shitty opinions. Sorry, I don't want to hear not it, and our it's not listeners. good for not not our listeners. No, they're, they're, no, they're very there. educated, nice people. <laughs> you're very, very, very nice. Yeah, you know, it's, it strikes me
1: the how hard it is to be a politician, and both of you are hitting on this point. It makes me think of Kavanaugh right now, the Supreme Court nominee. Oh. Uh, no. Uh, Brett. Brett, yes, Brett. And the thorough review, the exhaustive thorough review that he's going through. And I think it's justified. I think if you're going to be on the Supreme Court and Democrats are asking for every single document.
0: Republicans are refusing to turn over (laughs) a huge chunk of them.
1: Absolutely. And I think the Democrats have the right to push on that. I mean, it's a Supreme Court nominee, but that's what it's going to turn into is looking at every single page. And if you have any hope of ever... Becoming a Supreme Court nominee, you better just shut your Facebook and Twitter and all of that stuff down. Instagram, uh, because it's somebody's going to look at it. And at some point, you're going to make a mistake. Yeah, take yeah. a
2: magnet to that hard drive, take yeah, it out of your computer, it, and it throw it in it. the ocean. It's not the internet. Not, never it. forgets. No, it's it's just it's a weird time. Oh. It just needs to stop. This was a good one. It is, <laughs> it is it good. fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind
0: of depressed. Really? <laughs> that doesn't <laughs>
2: happen <laughs> every, every week. Oh <laughs> uh, boy. I need
0: I need to go home and read some Bigfoot erotica to, to, to <laughs> my cheer your, myself up. Yes, um, we sh- we should give our uh, the the Predictit um, link again before we absolutely
2: yes. So uh, I'm and I'm ass- remind the listeners of the good special deal. Yes, I'm assuming you were all here the entire time listening to this. Yeah. Um, but in case you know you stepped away for a minute, uh, we partnered with uh, with Predictit, uh, this awesome service. Uh, Bill, I don't know if you want to say anything else about it, and then just I a, it's that. the
1: stock market for politics. So you can go in there and have fun and uh, bet on future, future political outcomes and make uh, money, make money, make and money. Uh, actually, you know, learn a lot about how this uh, process all plays out. Yes. So, yeah. uh,
2: on top of that, uh, they've offered our listeners uh, a special deal. Um, so when you go to predicted. dot slash promo slash barstool p o l twenty. Uh, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So if you open a $20 account, they will match that $20. Um, So absolutely give it a try. It's super fun. The data is great. We talked about it on just about every segment we did this week. We'll continue to use it. Um, Yeah, it's fun. Um, Yeah.
1: It's great. Yeah
2: anything else on, on that? Before I think we do we're plugs? good.
1: One thing we did say that uh, if listeners, so speedrun, we always come with these different topics. If you're a listener and you've got questions, topics that you want us to think about, uh, tweet them at us, uh, Facebook them somehow to us. Can You can Facebook them, right? You can Facebook Yeah, and, so send us your questions. We would love to interact with the listeners, so if you've got something you want us to talk about, please send it our direction. We enjoy that.
2: Yeah, so uh, we're on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L Facebook at Barstool Politics uh, the Untap Tap Barstool Politics uh, you can check out all the beers that we try on there uh, reviews and suggestions things like that the podcast uh, SoundCloud Stitcher Google Play Music most major podcasting platforms uh, and then obviously iTunes so review us and share us through there um, we appreciate the support when you guys do that anything else that's great can't wait to see what dumpster fire starts in the next week <laughs> it's always exciting it's gonna be fun And we'll be back on Wednesday next week. Yes, a a, a normal time again. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, we'll see you guys then. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers.